in March, I took my trusty, rusty Red Dot Shadow Time Machine to the year 1893. Chicago was hosting the World's Fair and I needed to see it for myself. It was amazing, except for the part where I was hunted by one of the most notorious serial killers ever, H.H. Holmes. Lately, I've not been feeling the greatest. I've got aches and pains in various locations, some of which are personal. I have these weird little dots on my arms that are either an allergic reaction or bed bug bites, plus my hair continues to thin. Now some of that is genetic and some of it is just old age, but whatever the case may be, modern medicine is just not cutting it. Recently, someone very close to me suggested I seek out a traveling medicine show. One drink of a formula with unknown ingredients and side effects could cure me of all my ailments at once. With medicine like that, you can't lose. When I researched nearby traveling medicine shows, I was disappointed to find out that they don't exist anymore. Luckily for me, I've got my time machine. So let's go back to the late 1800s once more and find some of that sweet, sweet life-saving elixir. According to my research, the two biggest and most reputable medicine shows were done by Hamlin's Wizard Oil Company, founded in Chicago, and the Kickapoo Indian Medicine Company, whose headquarters were in Connecticut. These shows brought specially designed wagons with built-in organs and stages. They put on Native American ceremonies, complete with war dances. They also included other family-friendly forms of entertainment, such as vaudeville shows, trained dog acts, dances, and acrobatics. Sounds fun! I'm setting the controls for 1887 in New Haven, Connecticut. Episode 22, A Taste of Your Own Medicine The 1880s were an interesting time in history. We were nearing the end of the Victorian era and the age of imperialism. We were also in the midst of the second industrial revolution. In the year 1887 specifically, construction work began on the foundations of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, France. Earmuffs were invented. The first ever Groundhog's Day was celebrated in Punxsutawney. There were countless lives lost to train crashes, river floods, and mine explosions, and Buffalo Bill's Wild West show opened up in London. Over here in the States, traveling medicine shows were at the peak of their popularity, and Connecticut was a hub for at least one major company. New Haven, Connecticut is where two men, John Doc Healy and Texas Charlie Bigelow, took their vast knowledge of proprietary medicines and put it to use. Not good use by any means, but use nonetheless. Bigelow was born in Massachusetts in 1855. He quickly, however, became a notable figure in Western pioneer life. As an Indian scout, he was close friends with a man named Colonel William F. Cody in his younger years. He maintained that friendship well into the time when William Cody became Buffalo Bill Cody. Bigelow had one of the most extensive collections of Indian relics in the country. He witnessed countless battles with Native Americans and rubbed elbows with many of the prominent and historic Old West legends. John Healy worked on patent medicines, and in 1881 got the idea to use Native American names for his medicines. I used air quotes while saying the word medicines just now because they were hardly that. By 1882, 
Doc and Texas Charlie secured some patents for their patent medicine by claiming the rights to the word sagwa in Indian oil. So here I am in beautiful New Haven, Connecticut. Between 1850 and 1887, New Haven saw a population increase of nearly 80,000 people. By the time 1950 rolls around, they'll tack on another 60,000. In the 21st century, it's still in the top three Connecticut cities in regards to population. Little known fact for anyone outside of the state, New Haven was the co-capital of Connecticut until 1873 when they narrowed it down to a more central Hartford. Now, Bigelow and Healy weren't by any means the first men to peddle cure-alls to the unsuspecting public. They just happened to be very good at it. By tying in Native Americans to their products, they added an air of mystery and nature. Patent medicine started among the royals in England before making their way to the States. It would seem that people around here didn't trust doctors as much during the 1800s, and why pay the Brits for something they can make up all on their own? You may be asking, what are patent medicines, and what sorts of things did they help with? Well, I'll explain the best that I can while I try to locate this medicine show. I'll answer the second question first. In 1887, you can find remedies for almost any ailment. A knowing venereal disease got you down? Suffering from tuberculosis? Is your baby colicky? Indigestion from your mother-in-law's cooking? Cancer? These guys will have something for all of that. Female complaints? Monthly discomforts? I'll bring you back a bottle. Side note, to keep me out of trouble, those last two are actual words on advertisements. As far as answering the first question, patent medicine started back a long time ago. In Latin, the words nostrum remedium translates to our remedy. These medicines contained ingredients that were granted government protection for exclusivity. Not everyone sought government approval, however, and anyone with the ability to pour random things in a bottle could sell these medicines. Typically, what would be found in these miracle elixirs was some form of vegetable extract and a solid dose of alcohol. Many of these supposed medical concoctions were fortified with morphine, opium, or cocaine. That's insane! you yell out from behind your steering wheel. And you'd be correct in yelling that because sadly many of these concoctions were advertised for infants and children. Parents seeking relief for their babies often ended up losing those babies. The point was to sell these medicines to as many people as possible. Hope nothing went horribly wrong with anyone drinking them over the course of their stay and then hightail it out of town and move on to the next one. Physicians tried to tell people that what they were drinking would do more harm than good, but again, no one trusted doctors or science back then. Luckily, we've moved past that stage and everyone trusts doctors and science now, right? What was that? Oh, there's, there's still people who don't listen to professionals? Huh. Anyway, these doctors argued that the remedies did not cure illnesses, merely numbed them for a while. Plus, it discouraged any actual sick person from seeking legitimate help. These remedies also often caused alcohol and drug addiction. I must be getting close by now. There are posters plastered everywhere on storefronts advertising the Kickapoo Traveling Medicine Show. Let's see. According to the posters, the show left town already. Shoot. Well, maybe these folks know where it was headed. Pardon me. I hate to interrupt your lunch gathering, but can you tell me where the medicine show was headed? Wait a minute. You're Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. So you don't know then, do you? You could have just said that. And you're Harriet Beecher Stowe. 
Wow, Miss Stowe, any ideas? Never give up, for that is just the place and time that the tide will turn. I'm not giving up. That's, that's why I came over here and bothered you. Love your work, by the way. Nobody ever lost a dollar by underestimating the taste of the American public. Well, thank you, P.T. Barnum. Would this crisp $5 bill help jog your memory? They went to Bridgeport, my hometown. Jeez, thank you. Good day to you all. Often referred to as the father of American literature, Mark Twain moved to Hartford, Connecticut in 1871. It was while he was there that he wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Prince and the Pauper, and others. They were productive years for him. He built his dream home in the neighborhood of Nook Farm. Hartford at the time was quite the affluent town. His next-door neighbor, Harriet Beecher Stowe. You may have heard that name before. She wrote a little novel called Uncle Tom's Cabin, which described the harsh conditions that slaves faced. Stowe and Twain were good friends and even had an open-door policy between them. Could you imagine borrowing a cup of sugar from Mark Twain? According to ConnecticutHistory.org, Phineas Taylor Barnum, better known as P.T. Barnum, was an entertainer and promoter, author, philanthropist, businessman, and politician. He served in the Connecticut legislature and as Bridgeport's mayor. He was a fan of hoaxes and human curiosities. As you probably already knew, he later founded the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus. In the 1870s, P.T. Barnum and Mark Twain began communicating and writing letters back and forth. The topic was often an anthology that they hoped to write regarding the strange and entertaining letters Barnum would receive from folks wanting to join the circus. It's often assumed that despite that project never coming to fruition, Twain often used Barnum's character traits in his own characters. So that brings us back to the two gentlemen who started the Kickapoo Indian Medicine Company. Healy and Bigelow were two enterprising businessmen who combined their skills and knowledge of the public's thirst for a show and turned a traveling medicine show into a lucrative business. Their hero? P.T. Barnum. As I alluded to earlier, Native Americans were considered by many whites to be mysterious and have a strong connection in dealing with health, fitness, and sickness through a knowledge of Mother Earth and all she has to offer. So what did Healy and Bigelow do? hired on Indian actors, and had them tout the benefits of their various medicines full of secret Native American twigs and berries. Helping in their sales was an endorsement from none other than Buffalo Bill himself. As a spokesperson, Buffalo Bill said, Kickapoo Indian Sakwa is the only remedy the Indians ever use, and has been known to them for ages. An Indian would as soon be without his horse, his gun, or blanket, as without Sakwa. Upon opening the company headquarters in New Haven, Healy and Bigelow released a statement to the public. It read, Nearby the riverfront of Grand Avenue, New Haven, Connecticut, stands a towering massive warehouse. Into this you are invited to visit the uncultured sons of the plain and forest who assist in carrying on one of the most original enterprises of this continent. In the upper portions of the building these sons of the far west find a home. In fact, it is their hunting grounds. And if one will but shut one's eyes to the fact that a roof is between himself and heaven, there is little or nothing left for imagination. It is here that the Indians are received prior to being consigned to their duties in the extensive factory or to encampments upon the road. Another portion of the building is occupied with tents erected and equipped exactly as though they formed a settlement on the plains. 
The clothing and food supplies of the band are scattered about with that unstudied elegance of disorder which, as the initiated are well aware, forms a great attraction to the free and easy red and pale faces. Consulting the grandest charm of life away from the trammels of civilization, they called the factory the principal wigwam and offered tours of the private museum within the building. The Kickapoo Company also released magazines and catalogs with names like the Indian Illustrated Magazine and the Kickapoo Indian Dream Book. There would be poems inside for the reader to recite and live by. I am chief of the Kickapoo Indian tribe, and am strong as a brave can be. Not brandy nor whiskey do I imbibe, nor the Chinaman's poisonous tea. But Indian sagua I often do take, for it's good for man at least. It cures the body of many an ache, and stomach for many a feast. So now I find myself in the seaport city of Bridgeport. After the Civil War wrapped up, numerous iron foundries and factories were constructed, and firearms, cartridges, horse harnesses, and more were manufactured at a rapid pace. A company called Wheeler & Wilson exported sewing machines throughout the world from right here where I stand. In 1875, P.T. Barnum himself was elected mayor of the town and for a long time made Bridgeport the winter headquarters of both Barnum & Bailey's Circus and Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. <sighs> Finally, I've arrived at the encampment, and it looks like a show is about to start. The Kickapoo Indian Medicine Show seems to be a big draw here in Bridgeport. By the 19th century, finding actual Native American performances were hard to come by. What Healy and Bigelow offered was a dumbed-down version that trampled on any honorable, spiritual, or authentic practices of Native Americans. But the public ate it up. They wanted to let people get a good look at their Indians, up close and personal, to cause intrigue and even a twinge of fear if they could. While many shows had white men dressed up in Native American garb, the Kickapoo Indian Medicine Company took the idea a step further, as I mentioned earlier, and hired real Indians. Three years from now, it's said that they will have around 800 Native Americans under their employment. Many of them will work at the New Haven offices making medicines and some will travel with the touring wagon shows. Now these Kickapoo camps, like the one before me, varied in sizes and level of extravagance. This one is a doozy. There's at least six teepees erected and a 20-foot wide stage with recently patented beacon lights surrounding it. There must be a dozen workers running around getting things ready. The average Kickapoo show, like the one I'm watching, would typically have around 10 acts, with the product pitchman coming out of his tent in between every few acts. The show, like all the others, begins with a sight of a lifetime, as a nice group of Native American men and women sing and dance and play the drums. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question. How much is your health worth? I'd say that it's priceless, wouldn't you? What if I were to tell you that for half of a dollar, you could be healed of everything and anything that ails you? Well, it's true. That's right, ladies and gents, for a measly 50 cents, these authentic Kickapoo medicines will succeed in doing what doctors consistently fail at every day. Only nature and the wisdom of Indians can truly heal. And I have that right here in this little bottle. A secret formula made from the Lord's own laboratory, the earth itself, will cure rheumatism, cancer, diabetes, baldness, bad breath, and the curvature of the spine. Oh. The medicine show offered up some trick rifle shooting, 
Tumbling and balancing acts, vaudeville acts, a ventriloquist, pretty ladies, and seemingly sad and worn-out Native Americans. At many shows, you might even find a minstrel in blackface. Thankfully, that isn't on today's entertainment list. As the show goes on, people are purchasing bottles of various medicines, enjoying each act, and standing in awe and reverence of the actual Native Americans before them, all while being completely duped and hanging on every word of the showman. The show is now wrapping up, and the salesman can see that I haven't made a purchase yet. I'm offered Kickapoo Indian Salve for my skin diseases, and the Kickapoo Indian Worm Killer, which they somehow faked their way through a live test of on an audience member. Next up is the Kickapoo Cough Cure, guaranteed to take away your cough and possibly shred your esophagus. The last product I'm offered is the one that they are most famous for, Kickapoo Indian Sagwa. I'm told that it can kill virtually everything, literally in some cases. Despite all that I know about the scam, they've done a good job selling me on it. I'm now the proud owner of a bottle which I'll display on my website curator135.com. If it's good enough for Buffalo Bill Cody, it's good enough for me. Before anyone can actually ingest the medicines, the staff is ushering people away and the showman, his Indians, and performers are locked away in their wagons and tents. All sales are final, it would seem. Now, before I open this and cure everything that's ever been wrong with me, I will say that there have been some legitimate products that have stuck around for the long term. Some of these could be in your own medicine cabinet right now. Listerine was created in 1879, and Milk of Magnesia a year later. Richardson's Croup and Pneumonia Cure Solve came out in the 1890s. It's now known as Vicks VapoRub. 1899 brought us bare aspirin, and finally we got Exlax in 1905. All of those started off as products available at traveling medicine shows. In 1892, there was an attempt to regulate medicine on a federal level. A law was written that stated a medicine must be up to a professed standard. It passed the Senate, but failed to pass the House. The Proprietary Medicine Association had a lot to do with the law failing in the House, but in 1905, the association began to divide, and the first piece of federal legislation called the Pure Food and Drug Act passed in 1906. The bill stated that all addictive drugs be listed on the labels of food and medicine. Patent medicine continued successfully until the 1930s, when new legislation and regulation was brought in. That decade saw the formation of the Food and Drug Administration, the Federal Trade Commission, the American Medical Association, American Pharmaceutical Association, and Consumers Research. All right, well, here goes nothing. Ooh, whew, the smell is like nothing my nostrils have ever inhaled. Like paint thinner poured into a soiled cloth diaper. It's pungent. Aw, man. That might have been a sign that it's time for me to get back home where I belong. Traveling medicine shows like the ones provided by the Kickapoo Company or Hamlin's Wizard Oil, while dangerous, were part of the entertainment culture in the 19th century. Eventually, movie theaters opened and radio became big. You didn't even need to leave your home for entertainment. In 1905, the same year we were blessed with X-Lax, the Nickelodeon Theater opened in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Its name was a combination of the cost, a nickel, and the Greek word for theater, Odeon. Watching these shows was like watching live commercials with a group of strangers. Even if you didn't think you needed a bottle, if everyone else was purchasing one, you didn't want to feel left out. Traveling medicine shows had, and still have, 
a major impact on advertising and the art of making you want something you didn't know you needed. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned something. I did. I'm going to stick with modern medicine or I'll just continue to ignore all of my ailments and hope they go away on their own. Now it's my turn to be a showman and try my hand at pushing products. I have a great new shop that has opened up with the help of the fine folks at Teespring. You can get to it by heading to the shop section of the website, curator135.com. There are various show-related teas, bags, and masks there. The more things I sell, the more I can stop working my other jobs and focus all of my time on this podcast. Everyone wins. And you certainly don't want to be the only person in town that doesn't have a shirt, do you? Find me on any of the socials. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a five-star rating. It really helps. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.